Fortigadi episodes a Kest Natangan Podcrail for Yon Gwelge August Star the Enya at Fisruk for a Gadr of Lehi August a role in our Venulot Welcome to the language question a podcast about the Irish language and its history for anyone curious about their relationship with it and its role in our identity Our knee son episode sa na Sahrun Sardina Oli Sunri Farbror Bogari Agashkrivnor e Sahrun is Gwelgor Agas Gnivi Tangan e Koma. Sahrun is a data scientist, a software developer and writer, as well as being a Gwelgor and an Irish language activist. When it's unsult as an Kora Sol Sahrun, Agas Tasulagum Gumwinatu Sult Asave Egeshtuklesh. I hope you enjoy listening to this conversation with Sahrun as much as I enjoyed having it. Maris Ganach be kinta a chlaru egg thelanguagequestion.com forward slash resources chondach mini faulum to serenashka a oil agasave erinolus we gakrod at our shul erin show. As usual, please be sure to sign up at thelanguagequestion.com forward slash resources in order to get your complimentary valuable learning resources and to stay up to date with upcoming episodes, guests, and to receive exclusive content. Peshgele. Shulling, come win it saltas. Anyhow, here goes with this episode. I hope you enjoy it. Sahrun Sardina is a data scientist, bioinformatician, Gwelgor software developer and writer. He is very active in the Irish language community and is an organiser of the pop-up Gwelgor La Jola August Kunte San Diego Irish language group. A hafrun achara tafalche is fiherote and show Augustam Harave Boyak did Asavelin. Ah, Grimard Hain. Well, it's wonderful to have you here, uh, Sarun, and we're so grateful to you for um, coming on and to share your, your story with us. We're really looking forward to hearing uh, to what uh, what you have to say. And, 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 and I suppose on that, what I would love to do at the beginning, as we always do here on this show, is to go right back to the beginning in terms of your. Um, language journey and, and 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 how that began. Where what did what what did what, first of all because you, 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 you're based in 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 San Diego in in California, and so would you mind telling us where did the kind of your connection with the Irish language come from? When did it kind of start in, in, in your life, and 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 how did that look like in terms of your progression? So for me, it's a it's definitely a somewhat unique story. So what happened is I have always been someone who just loves languages. Ever since I started learning Spanish back in would have been around the sixth grade in the States, I absolutely loved it. You know, I started falling in love with the act of learning language. So once I finished the Spanish courses in school, I was very happy with where my Spanish was. And I asked myself, what am I going to learn next? And there's a whole world of languages out there, quite literally. And what ended up coming to my mind was, you know, so my family has some Irish ancestry. Why didn't I try Irish? Um, and so I did a quick little Duolingo search and said, hey, I wonder if there's Irish on Duolingo. And it turns out there was. So that was a really easy way for me to get started. And that was right after I graduated high school. Um, so I started on Irish for that entire summer and then through my first year of college. And what happened is during my time in college, I found out that UCSD, the University of California at San Diego, actually had an exchange program with UCD in Ireland. So I'm like, oh, that's really cool. I've been learning Irish. I could, you know, I could go there and use some. And 
of course, I understood at that time that Ireland didn't speak Irish as a primary language in most places, but I, I still knew that I'd be able to find it around if I looked for sure. So I said, you know, that would, that would be awesome. I'd love the chance to get to do that. So I applied to this, very fortunately got in, and I spent that summer in UCD. And the first, I think the very first question I ever asked in Ireland, you know, besides like, you know, where's the bus or something, like the first real question I ever asked, um, I walked up to someone in UCD as I was checking in, and I, I asked him, you know, call woman on goal, you know, where can I go to speak some Irish? And he looks at me very confused that there's some American speaking Irish to him, asking where to go, you know, to like become part of that community. And he said, you should try down at Conor Nagelga. So later that week, I decide that I should head down to Conor Nagelga, see what's around there. I probably spent around 15 minutes looking for it because the, the club Conor Nagelga, the, the bar they've got in Dublin, is below the level of the street. And I'd never seen that before. So I never thought, oh, just look below the level of the street. There's stairs heading down there. I spent 50 minutes walking up and down Harcourt Street looking for this place. And I finally found it. I'm like, maybe it's down these set of stairs. <laughs> I walk in hoping it's the place I'm trying to get to. Walk inside and all of a sudden it's just a Gaeltacht in there. You don't hear a word of English. And that's really, you know, I, I loved Irish before that. I loved studying it because I loved language. But that's where I really fell in love with the language and with its community, because that's where I got to be a part of something. And that's also where I got to be, I'm not going to say fluent. I wasn't fluent after that time, because it had only been a year of me learning Irish, really. But I was quite conversational. I could make my points known, and I could understand the gist of what someone said. For the most part, I was pretty happy with that. It's after that, after that summer, um, I went back to San Diego and I decided I wanted to keep doing stuff with Irish. So, you know, I was, I was sitting around one day and I'm like, how do I try to keep up my Irish here? How do I keep up my ability to speak Irish when I'm in a city that doesn't really speak Irish at all? And so I decided, well, let's see if I can make a pop-up girl talk. Let's just, let's just try this. Um, and so I, at one point, it was in, the first one was in October of 2018. I think it was 2018. Um, I sent out a email to literally every organization in San Diego that had Irish in their name and said, hey, I'm doing this Irish language event. You know, everyone is welcome. I'm happy to teach a few words if you don't know any. And I'm happy to have a conversation if you do. Let's see where this goes. And we got around 10 people for the first one, which is very, very good numbers considering San Diego. Um, but it was it was awesome to see that kind of, a you know, community existed there. And so after that, for the next few years, I continued on with the pop-up real talks in San Diego. Um, and I continued with those right up until COVID hit. Once COVID hit, of course, we shifted online, which was actually really cool because we got crowds from San Diego, but then we got people coming in from Ireland, from Australia. Um, from We had someone come in from Peru at one point. Um, and, uh, and, you know, someone from Russia, from all over the world, we had people coming in who were like, oh, yeah, I kind of want to speak a bit of Irish. And so all of a sudden you saw this surprisingly international group in there. And obviously it was majority people from San Diego from the original version or from Ireland. But you'd occasionally see people from anywhere and it was a really cool experience. After that, um, at, at the same time as all this was going on, I was applying to graduate schools. 
And my first choice was to go to Ireland. So I applied to UCD and to Trinity, got into Trinity, UCD rejected me. Um, quite ironic, um, considering they had been my first gateway into Ireland. But I accepted my offer at Trinity immediately. And that's kind of how I got back to be mostly full-time in Dublin now, besides when I visit my family for the holidays. Um, and after that, I just I kept doing everything I could with Irish. Um, so that's the story. <laughs> Amazing and 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 incredible stories, Andrew. And 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 um, I I mean, there, there's so much to that that I, I'd like to to to, to dig uh, 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 deeper into. But 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 tell me, so I mean, so so all of this. So so you you did the, you, the when you did the grad the, the postgraduate or graduate program in, in in Trinity. I mean, that was a uh, what, what what kind of degree was that then? What kind of program was that at that stage? That was a master's degree. I was doing that in data science. Um, okay. I had okay. continued on to apply for and um, start a PhD in Trinity as well, where I'm currently doing a PhD in computer science and machine learning. My goodness. So you have chosen to continue with your education in the area of, um, uh, of, of, of technology and, 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 and all of that in Ireland in order to, uh, to, 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 to give you the facility to be able to engage more with the Irish language in Dublin. Would that, is, is that correct? Yeah, that was, that was pretty much it. So when I graduated from a master's program, <coughs> um, I was thinking, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do. I was applying to pharmaceutical companies because my, my goal for all of this um, kind of in weirdly in the background of, you know, the kind of Irish language that's been driving my life. But the goal I've always had is to be able to use the skills I have both from biology, um, which was my undergraduate degree at UCSD, and from data science, my postgraduate um, master's degree in Trinity, my goal was always, you know, I want to do something that can help in some way with cancer research. I always wanted to help out in that domain because that's a place where I feel like I could do a lot of good. Um, and so when I was leaving my master's degree, I really had one question myself. Do I go for some sort of pharmaceutical company where I can start doing applied work in this? Or do I continue my education in this domain and hope that I can do research that's going to put this forward. And so I was putting in applications to a whole bunch of different companies. I had an offer on the table um, from, I forget the name of them, a pharmaceutical company around Dublin um, for a data scientist position. And I, it was something I was considering. I knew I wanted to stay in Ireland because of the language. But at the same time, I got an offer from Trinity for a PhD. And when I saw that, um, and it was, it was with the same supervisor I'd had from a master's degree. When I saw that, I was like, that would be awesome. I'd love to keep doing research because I really knew that that would be the, the thing that's kind of more true to myself. I love academia. I love research. I love the thought process of it, the connections you make. And it's just, it's a place where I fit in really well. So yeah, I didn't, I didn't, in a way I chose to do something in Ireland because of the Irish language. But the doing the PhD rather than a full-time job really ended up boiling down to, you know, the better opportunity they had at the time to stay around in Ireland. Co completely. And I mean, it's just an extraordinary, again, just, you know, the, 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 the level of commitment that that is involved, you know, around ultimately driven by commitment to the language is, is, is I think, just absolutely extraordinary. But, but talk to me, let's say, about outside of the let's say, formal education or research that you're doing in, in your own 
you know, area of academic expertise in relation to the Irish language itself. So what, what does that look like in terms of, I mean, is that all self-taught? How, how, how has that come about for you? Um, mostly, I mean, self-taught slash Duolingo taught at first. Um, after that, largely taught by talking to people, um, you know, by, by sitting, sitting down in, you know, in Kanu Nagelga at the pop-up Geltacht and just having conversation, which is really funny because in the beginning I would start using a phrase and be like, I don't even know where this phrase came from. I can't recall ever seeing it in my life. You know, I just know it sounds kind of right. And it was a really weird experience because I learned Spanish, it was extremely formal. You sit down in class, you've got the conjugation chart, you do a bunch of practices. And I was pretty good at memorization, so I succeeded pretty well there. With Irish, it was sit down, there's your pint of Guinness, you know, there's someone sit, standing in front of you and you've got to make yourself understood, you know, go try. <laughs> um, and it, it turned out that that also works very well for me. Um, but that wasn't, of course, the only way I learned. It was the primary way I learned Irish, but it wasn't the only thing I did. Um, there was some self-taught stuff. There's a website, Nualergish, I imagine you've probably heard of it, that has an amazing explanation of Irish grammar on there, broken down by how major grammatical changes occur in the dialects too. So I use that quite a bit to kind of supplement this. But I think the probably the single most important thing that I did in terms of developing my Irish was actually, so at Trinity, there are two student newspapers. There's Trinity News and there's the University Times. And more or less, besides the occasional squabbling, they're the same thing. <laughs> there are just two of them. Um, and there's a, there's a bit of a rivalry there that is hopefully mostly good-hearted. You know, it's, it's weird college drama, but you get what you get. And what happened is my first, um, my first semester doing my data science master's, Someone reached out to me um, from the University of Times because, you know, I'm, I'm the San Diegan who knows Irish. That's kind of, you know, that's an interesting story. And they said, do you want to write a piece on your story? And I said, yeah, that would be awesome. And I, you know, I decided I wanted to write that in Irish. So I wrote that up in Irish. And I'm sure if I looked back at it now, the pre-edited version, obviously, I would have said, what was I thinking? Um, luckily, they had very good editors and were able to make this a somewhat coherent piece. Um, and after that, I kept writing for them, um, sometimes news, sometimes opinion, for the rest of that year. And so I got into the position of pretty, being pretty comfortable writing Irish. The year following, when I started my PhD, I applied to be the Irish language editor at the newspaper at the University of Times. And very fortunately, I got that position. That entire year, I was the one editing articles. When I started, I was very, very good with Irish, but I wouldn't have had all the minute grammatical rules of, you know, what are the exceptions to knitting the genitive after on and all this stuff. I wouldn't have had all of that in my head. So I very actively sought that out and learned that in great detail. And by the end of that year, because of the rigor that I held myself to when I was editing these articles, I came out with an extremely strong understanding of the grammar. That and also because as the Irish language editor, you're also basically a you know, an onboard translator for everything, you know, anything they put out, any of the, well, not all the articles, but all the editorials, which was two per week, you know, you would translate to Irish. So I had a um, vice editor helping me out, but we were doing constant work, translating, editing, revising things. And that was massively useful in terms of developing my Irish language skills there. 
because it forced me kind of off the deep end in this environment. And it turned out to do a ton of good for me. I came out of that with a very robust understanding of the grammar. And after there, it's substantially helped me as I start to read much more advanced things in Irish, as I start to engage much more critically with the news in Irish. Um, that's really where that came from. That's 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 a really, really, you know, it's an inspirational example, I think, because, you know, I, I, I love the way there that you started by just simply throwing yourself into trying to communicate um in in a social context is a in the in in the bar in in, in the um in Conor and um and just literally kind of almost by brute force insisting and forcing saying i'm going to just try and you know communicate here and 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 and, and learn through that actual that 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 process which i think a lot of people kind of try and do it the other way around i'm certainly guilty of this um is you know saying oh look uh, my irish isn't good enough yet therefore i'll have to you know improve before i actually start you know wanting to use it um uh, because i i'm I, i'm afraid that i will sound stupid will you know just be 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 incoherent and and, and so on but you have to you know go into that 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 incoherence. The the you you have to go and just kind of learn by making the mistakes, and then and then forcing yourself then to go from just forcing yourself to speak it uh, to go forcing yourself to write it. I mean, again, very very. I mean, it, it's 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 an extraordinary example of just throwing yourself in at the deep end and 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 learning that way. I mean, it it it, it, it perhaps that appears daunting to people. I, I mean, I don't, I don't necessarily know that everybody has to go to the the the. You've you've done it to an extraordinary high level. That you know, it's 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 quite an extreme example. But I think it's 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 inspirational in terms of saying, listen, just you know, don't worry about the the quality. Uh, it's initially it's about you know exposing yourself to just the quantity of exposure to the language. Yeah, absolutely. And I think to me, <coughs> weirdly. It was, sorry, it was almost easier. And the reason I say this is that, I mean, I, I definitely had this moment where, you know, I go into a bar and I ordered like, you know, I, I ordered some sort of soft drink from the bar. And, you know, I'd, I'd ordered this in Irish and I was so proud of myself. And then the bartender looks at me and she says, the higher Nugan Ire. And I'm like, what's Ire? I've got no idea what she's saying. And I completely freak myself out. I'm like, what's Ire? She's like, oh, that's ice. I'm like, oh, ice. Yeah, sure, I'll take ice. Um, but I, I was like, oh, I'm such an idiot. How do I not know the word for ice, but I know the word for, like, I don't know, everything else behind the bar. Um, it was a really – so I, I had that experience of, like, oh, I'm such an idiot. What am I doing here? Um, and I completely get that. But I think for me, there's kind of two things to go with that. One is that I tend to be pretty confident with kind of, like, public speaking type roles, and that facilitates that there. But I think the other thing is that and maybe this is unique to me because of kind of the story that I have. But when I look at Ireland, I don't, in a weird way, Ireland doesn't feel like a place that's for me. Like I go to Dublin and I feel out of place, even though I live there. It, in a way, I you know, I'm the American walking around. And that's definitely one of those things where it's like, you know, I ask myself, do I belong here? Without the Irish language, the answer would unquestionably be no. But the one place that I have no doubt about me belonging is the Irish language community. That's the one place in general Irish society that I truly feel at home. 
So we'll talk about that I don't feel at home or welcomed in general Irish society. But there's a difference there. I'm always the outsider. You know, there's always a difference. There's always, I don't, you know, <clears throat> it's not quite the same. I don't feel, you know, I don't feel like that was a place I was meant to be. But when I speak in Irish and I'm in those communities, that's where I feel like this is where I was meant to be. And that's where I've surrounded myself with that to such a large extent, because that's the one part of, you know, that that's the part of Ireland that makes me want to stay in Ireland. Without the Irish language, you know, I could go to Spain. I know I know Spanish. I could I could move to Spain. There's nothing wrong with that. I've got my EU citizenship through Ireland. I could I could do all of this, but to me, there's nothing for me that says, man, Shakun would love Spain. It's a really cool place. I know it's got amazing and beautiful culture. But there's nothing tying me specifically to it. And that's the same way that Ireland would be for me, quite frankly, without the language. But with the language, I've got a very strong connection there. And it really feels like another home to me. Um, And so I think it's easier for me in a way to kind of throw myself into that environment. Because it always is going to feel more natural to make a fool of myself if that happens in Irish. Than to be sitting around talking English in a different bar. That's so cool. That's that's just such a cool story. But and 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 I mean and and that connection is something that I think a lot of Irish people would feel um, mm-hmm. you know very very envious of. I mean because it's 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 I, I think certainly for a lot of Irish people who 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 don't have the 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 command of Irish feel that perhaps their ability to access that community is 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 or it's one that maybe they feel a little bit 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 removed from and 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 their their um uh, their their issues there. But talk to me about that community, Saturn. So in, in 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 first of all in Dublin and 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 in Ireland more widely, what does that look like for you? I mean on a day-to-day basis. I mean you 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 spend the majority of your time in Dublin now. And yes. and so what does that look like for you in terms of is it I mean how, how, how diverse a kind of a, 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 a social life do you have? What kind of events um, do you participate in? Uh, what does that look like for, for if you could give people an idea of what the community um, uh, looks like? Yeah, so I when I first started out in Trinity and still to an extent, although maybe to a lesser one, um, I was very active with the common Gaelic in Trinity. Um, and because of that, you know, my introduction to Trinity College was, hey, look at this massive group of people who speak Irish and think that you're really cool because you also speak Irish with them. And that's the only criteria. Um, and they don't even care if you speak bad Irish. They're just happy to happy to be around. There's a really wholesome group of people. So I formed my social circle from that. So a huge amount of my friends are just Irish speakers and people that I wouldn't speak English to. Not that I wouldn't be willing to, but just that we're both fluent in Irish. And so we start communicating with each other in Irish. It's so much easier to continue speaking in a language that you're used to speaking to someone. And so, so much of my social life really came out of the common Gaelic. And similarly, out of Connor and Gaelga, where I met people um, there that I'll, that I'll meet, up, meet up with, I'll see them quite consistently. So a lot of the social life came out of Irish. So it was very easy to have, my, to have that, kind, that level of Irish constantly in my life. Mm. Looking mm. over to, you know, what I do in, you know, with my PhD, everyone in my lab speaks English as a primary language. A couple of the people know some Irish, but they would speak English primarily. Um, so I would be largely speaking English there. Um, and so now I'd say maybe around half of my friends speak English and half speak Irish. 
but it's still really easy to keep that connection with the community up because half mm-hmm. of my friends speak Irish. Um, mm-hmm. and I think a really, a really fun way of relating that actually, um, with when I met my girlfriend, she didn't speak much Irish. She'd known, she knew a little bit here and there, but she didn't really know it. But now we speak to each other and text each other largely in Irish because she really had that interest in the language there. And so I found that an effect that I have on people is because I'm so passionate for the language, people will learn and use a bit around me. And then because of that, you know, I end up with people who might not have, you know, reached that same level of Irish being like, oh, but I'd love to learn a bit more because it means so much to him and he means something to me. Um, And it's been a really cool thing to see how that's, you know, fostered these kinds of connections, really grown them a lot, because to me, it's, it's so much easier to connect for me to connect when I, when you share a common ground with someone. And to me, since I was such a big part of me, when someone shows interest and care for that, whether it's to use a few words with me or that they're, you know, they're learning the language and kind of going through that journey with me, that's something that means a ton to me. And that's the way that a lot of my friendships have grown. That's, that's so cool. It, it just, and uh, as a matter of fact, is your girlfriend Irish? She is but her dad was a diplomat, so she spent most of her time outside of Ireland. Okay, cool. But I mean, this is just so cool. I mean, you're here coming to Ireland and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, learning the language and then, you know, uh, bringing somebody, let's say Irish, okay, but with an international dimension, but you're you're bringing them back into the language through your... And, and because they're, as you as you put it so beautifully, you're important to them and the language is important to you, so that 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 brings them into to the use of the language. That's mm-hmm. that's just extraordinary. Tell me, um, Sarun, as we just c- c- continue on this uh, line, what, what about let's say deeper in terms of you mentioned maybe Irish background. I mean, is that significant or important for you? And how do you see the language and in terms of let's say maybe connection with Irish culture and identity more broadly? Is is is, is that a factor for you? Yeah. So in the beginning, that absolutely was. That was that was really the reason I started, you know, I started looking at Irish because I had that family connection there and that kind of history there. Now, that is still a thing, but it's a thing in a different way. There's, in Irish, you've got these two words, and I envy the Irish language for having these words because English would do with them. The difference between Erdenach and Geolach, or Gael, you know. You know, the person who is Erdenach, which we commonly translate as Irish, to me, is the person who has Irish culture because they were born or raised in that environment. You know, the person who was born in Dublin or born in Kerry or Galway or Belfast. They've lived in Ireland their whole life. They talk to people and that's a natural part of their upbringing. And that can involve the Irish language or it cannot. And then there's the other word, you know, Gaelach, which refers still to typically a person of Irish heritage. But more and more in recent times, and I really like this, it's used for people who are a part of Irish language culture, regardless of where they're from. And so to me, I would say I am not Erinach, but I am Gaelach. You know, I very much am a part of Irish language culture. And to anybody in the Irish language community, they don't care where you're from. They care that you care about Irish language culture. They care that you use it to the extent that you can, and they care that you respect it. And that makes you Gaelic, wherever you're from. And so that's kind of where I fit there, is that now it's less about, you know, 
I have ancestry that ties me to Ireland. And it's more about I have a present that I choose to continue with this connection to Ireland. That is that is so beautiful, and I I I know there are many people who are Aranach but not Gaelach, and 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 perhaps wish that they were, or or and, but the fact that you've just gone out and done that, and and the fact that Gaelach is is because you see, in a way, people feel, oh well, I you know I I have Irish heritage that therefore kind of if you like gets me into the club, but yours is is, is a much more fundamental kind of connection. You've gone and learned the language at a very very deep level. And 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 you see your relationship w- with Ireland and Irish culture via language as as completely distinct from 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 your your your, let's say, family heritage as 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 somebody who just has that connection there in the background. Exactly, because for example, one example there would be, you know, I kind of have like four major groups that are that's my heritage. One of them is European, and I've got no idea what it is. It's just probably. A tiny bit of everything that can be found in Europe. Um, that's who my my paternal grandmother. The rest of it is French Canadian, Italian, and Irish. And I don't identify at all with being French Canadian. I'm just not. I've I've never been to anywhere in Canada except for a half day when I was like six years old, which <laughs> doesn't count. <laughs> um, and. Looking beyond that, like I don't, I don't speak French. I'm not part of any sort of Canadian or French culture. I don't feel any connection there. Besides, it's kind of cool to know where I came from. The running joke in our family is that the people, the our ancestors, um, they went. If you look at the timeline, they went to Canada right around the time of the French Revolution. So the running joke is there's a chance you're related to some sort of nobility <laughs> that were being kicked out at the time, or well, that were fleeing to avoid getting their heads lost to a guillotine. Um, and so that's, that's the running joke we have. We've got no idea whether we are related to nobility. Be a fun story if we are, <laughs> not that it does anything really. Um, but I don't really feel that kind of connection there with being Italian. It's a bit more of a thing for me because the, like my, my grandfather, my dad's side, he came to San Diego from Sicily. And so he kept a lot of those traditions alive in his household um, and therefore, all of my, my father and my uncles all keep that tradition alive in a similar way. So we have a very Italian-styled Christmas. You know, we have very Italian-styled celebrations. We will we'll do a lot of those things to an extent that that is a part of who I am. But even so, I'm not Italian the way that someone who was born and raised in Sicily or Rome or Florence would be. I have heritage and I've got a piece of the culture but it's almost the Italian-American culture that I have because there is a distinction there. Um, and that's, you know, it's similar with, in, in one way with Irish is that I have the ancestry there, but I don't really see that as grounds to say that I'm similar to a person who was born in Ireland. Not to say that I'm there's a difference or a better or a worse there, but rather that there's just a, you know, an acknowledgement that there is a very different culture and that there's a very different worldview set of experiences you know i didn't grow up with you know girl school cor- courses or going to take the leaving certs <clears throat> or you know and you know having ty or any of those things that is just a part of this shared culture you know i grew up watching different shows i grew up you know hearing different things on the radio with different politics around me it has an effect on you so i still don't see myself as irish in that sense 
because that connection just isn't a part of me, but absolutely with the language it is. And that's where my connection comes from. Oh, sorry. Can you hear my dog there? Um, yeah, that's great. Oh. Uh, uh, but um, but no, but that's but it's but it's so much more than that. I mean, I, I think such so, because it, like it's it to me that's it's 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 intentional, it's deliberate, yes. it's something that you've done rather than just being an accident of biological kind of history that you just kind of if you like got a got a got a got a connection that had absolutely you know you had nothing to do with in terms of any 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 choice mm-hmm. that you made yourself. This is something much more, much much deeper, I think, and 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 significant in the way that you've chosen to do that, um, and um, and I, I I congratulate you on doing so. It's it's phenomenal, but if I'd like to just maybe bring it forward a little bit, um, then from that because I mean where I first encountered you or became aware of you was an article in Tourist Call in the Irish Times in September of last year, I think, and. Um, I was just kind of blown away and 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 was able to get in touch with you following that thankfully but but I mean, can you just talk to us about that campaign that was spoken about in that article yeah. because you know when I saw that I said to myself my goodness I mean you know what can you first of all would you mind just telling the listeners what that entailed and 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 what yeah. you were doing there that was that that's the combination of me being I as a person anybody who knows me if you if you google my name you will see that I'm, I'm a very like, I'm very much an activist. I do a lot of things for the things that matter to me, and in an interesting way, I'm also a computer scientist, and that helps me a ton. Because what happened with this campaign was I was sitting here and I'm like, we have a ton of different FOIable bodies in Ireland, and I know that none of these bodies, or none of them, that a lot of them. What I might just do here for listeners who are who are not familiar with it, I'll just explain. Um, oh. Sutherland has referred to FOIable bodies, and what we're referring to there is the Freedom of Information Act here in Ireland. And they're, they're, under the Freedom of Information Act, you can make a request for information from various government bodies that are governed by that legislation, and they're referred to as FOI requests. So we refer to them as FOIable bodies, so those bodies that, that, that are subject to that act. So, so no, sorry, I didn't interrupt you there, but just want to clarify yeah. that for our listeners. Thank you. Thank you for that context. And I'm sitting here and I'm like, we've got hundreds of these bodies. It would be really cool to see how many of these can actually do, you know, some sort of meaningful conversation responses in Irish as is required under, you know, the Official Languages Act. So I ended up going through, I created um, a, a bunch of emails and um, on like a custom, like on my personal, from my personal website's domain. And I sent off hundreds of emails to every single FOI body. I literally just scraped the government website, got all the FOI addresses and sent out to every single one of them. Um, so I had a, I had a somewhat automated procedure for that, which was really useful. That's when my kind of computer science came in where I'm like, oh yeah, here's how we can scrape this, put it together, send emails. You know. and, and and again, for context for our listeners, I went back and I checked the article before this conversation, and you sent out two hundred and nineteen Freedom of yes. Information Act requests. Okay, so yes. how did that turn out? What did that look like in terms of the responses you got there? First of all, and and again, and just to explain for our listeners, um, uh, the you you sent the FOI the Freedom of Information Act request, Asquelga, you sent them in Irish, yeah, in Irish, and under the Irish Language Act. Uh, government bodies and agencies and related kind of semi-state bodies that are governed by the legislation, if they receive a request in Irish, they have a statutory requirement to respond to that and deal with it 
in Irish uh, in return. So how did that look and what happened? What happened was I, I went through the results. I had to do this manually, obviously, and said, basically, was this communication fully in Irish, partly in Irish or fully in English? In terms of the ones that were fully in Irish, I'm like, okay, cool. That is what is required under this, under the Official Languages Act. The ones that were only partly in Irish and not at all in Irish, um, those are the ones where I'm like, okay, there's a problem there. And that was 37%. Um, so we're looking at, I forget the exact number, 37% of 219 is somewhere around 60, 70 of these. Um and that's a bit of an issue, obviously, because you're supposed to be able to do this with full accessibility in the Irish language. And so when I saw that, I'm like, oh, not only is this a bit of a problem, but that looks like a press release, <laughs> you know, that looks like something that I could help get out there. So people kind of see, you know, this is what's going on. This is what happens. Um when you submit these kinds of applications and hopefully that this can lead to change in those bodies, those governmental bodies and occasionally private organizations that receive enough government funding actually have to be under the FOI Act as well, but that those mostly public bodies, hopefully maybe we see a change in response to this. So I did that and um, there, there are two, two bodies that were particularly bad in this in this case actually. UCD, ironically, the irony of all ironies, the place I got started with, you know, learning about Irish, um, um, and Avista, they both sent, sent something back to me and said, thank you for your request. We will process it upon receipt of the request in English. And I'm like, hold on, hold on. That's not quite a legally founded statement, I don't think, you know. And I, I wrote back. Thank you for a correspondence. You know, I wrote this in Irish. According to the Official Languages Act, you have an obligation to respond to me in Irish. You know, thank you very much. I look forward to hearing your reply. You know, sincerely, Shaqan Sardina. And this became this whole little escapade. I ended up getting um, the, res- the, the responses from them as well um, after convincing them that they were supposed to contact me in, um, in Irish. And so with all this information of you know, the, the groups that couldn't respond, the ones that were actively against the language, you know, UCD and Avista again, that said, no, you have to resubmit in English. And I, I sent this all to every um, news organization I could think of, local media, student media, national media, everything. And the Irish Times tour school picked up on it, um, as well as the local student newspaper in UCD picked up on it. Um, Normally, with a student newspaper, you you know, that wouldn't have a national impact in most cases, but it has a very local impact in a lot of cases. And I think that UCD really felt that one because actually, and this is something I didn't, <clears throat> I didn't send this out because it was less of a massive thing. Um, I sent an FOI out to UCD again recently, about a month ago. And I just, it was some really innocuous question that really existed to test if they could respond to me in Irish. And they did. When I sent sent the FOI, it was complete end-to-end in Irish only, the response. So we actually did see a response there. We saw changes there. And I think that largely comes out of not only the national reporting, but especially the local reporting there of them realizing, hey, you know, we've got we've got up a game here. We've got to actually make this compliant. And to their credit, they did. And they made that change properly. 
Well, that is to their credit, and it is to your credit. But I think, and I think it's, it's but I think it's really, really important to, to highlight because you might, you know, somebody might look at this and say, okay, that's a bit of a an artificial kind of an exercise. Somebody sending out two hundred nineteen FOI requests, and you know, uh, and so on and so forth. But and, and, and you know, what's that other than to maybe you know create um, something? noteworthy that might be the subject of a press release and in order to get something into a newspaper. But I suppose there's a number of different layers to that. The first one is, I think, highlighting for people and and, and what kind of saddens me in a way about a lot of this is that I saw it in Taurus Gall and I I, I thought it was very, very interesting, fascinating. It's why, why we're having this conversation today. But it was only reported in the Irish language and, yes. you know, and, 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 and it's something that I, I think... English language speakers who don't pay attention to Irish language media, you know, are completely unaware of, of, mm-hmm. of the fact that these kind of even questions or issues, you know, arise or are important to people at all. So that's that's one kind of unfortunate dimension to this. I, I, I feel sometimes, but but I suppose the, the the point that it highlights is that under this legislation, people are supposed to be able to use the the um, the, 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 the their language of choice in terms of Irish or English when dealing with state agencies. I mean, you're an extraordinary example of someone who's come and, you know, taken, you know, a, a huge change in your life in order to make the Irish language part of your life, you know, uh, coming from abroad to do that. But let's say for native speakers here in in Ireland who want to win, who want to actually use get government services in their native language, raise their kids in their native language and access services in order to do that. For them, this isn't a kind of an academic exercise or, or something that y- y- we do as a, as, a, as a campaign. This is the reality of their lives. And if they're not able to do that without, you know, making a big um, campaign about it, that's that completely undermines their ability to, to, to live their lives through the language. Absolutely. And, you know, fortunately and unfortunately, I doubt anyone from the Gale Talk has ever said, oh, I can't raise my kids in Irish because UCD won't respond to their FOI requests. Yeah. <laughs> but... It's part of a larger system, and it's part of this larger system of building up respect for the rights that people, you know, that Irish speakers have, and respect for the right, their right to access information, have the, you know, basic accessibility measures in place. And I think that when you look at that at a larger society, if you start to see changes there, even incremental ones, that's going to have a positive impact. It's not going to completely save the language overnight. You need a whole lot more to ensure the future of the Irish language as a spoken language of Ireland. But it definitely doesn't hurt. And it's definitely a piece that you can do that, you know, at the end of the day, isn't the hardest thing. Luckily, because we live in such a digital age, you can do a lot of the stuff much easier than you could before. You know, if I had done this before the internet, I'd have had to have written this many different letters to all these areas. Now, Obviously, the FOI request is also new. It didn't exist before the internet did, but kind of point standing that um, there's a lot you can do now for that. And if you start to see a lot more attempts to access things in Irish, a lot more pressure for things to be made available in Irish, you will see that. But I think the other thing you brought up there, and I think this is a really interesting point, is about how Irish language information you know, the issues with Irish language rights is published in uh, in Irish almost exclusively. And that's something, that's a realization I came to last year. Because in the beginning, I'm pretty sure everyone goes through this. And this is not a slight on anyone who goes through this. I did this for a very long time. 
you start being active in Irish and like, you know what I want to do? I want to make everything in Irish. So I'm going to write about Irish language issues in Irish. And it makes a lot of sense until you realize you're kind of preaching to the choir. <clears throat> you know, regardless of whether people agree with you on what should be done, anybody who speaks Irish agrees on the facts of what Irish language rights look like because it's all around you. You can't get away from it. Um, and that's ultimately what you what you see with this kind of Irish language media reporting is that in Irish, if you read, you know, Tours Punkai, Tours in Irish Times, Shachtin from the Irish Independent, you'll have no doubt about what the status of Irish language rights is. Mm-hmm. But if you read the Irish Times, you know, who run Tours if you read the Irish Independent, who run Shachtin, um, if you read, you know, RTE, the Daily Mail, you know, the Phoenix, I'm, I'm trying to think of all the other, Examiner, all these other publications that put out information for people, um, you won't see that hardly at all. And when you do, somehow there's always an outdated reference to PEG in there. And I don't know how that happens, but PEG hasn't been on the curriculum for decades. And somehow she still gets all the blame. You it's, know. it's it's the laziest trope that there is, I think, is. in the Irish language. But but you are so absolutely right. And and in a way, Satrun, that's why this podcast is Asperla. I, I, I've seen absolutely. a number of people, you know, commenting in it on, on, on social media to the extent that anybody does saying, Oh, it's a pity that it's not a uh, squelga. And again, that is something that I have ambitions about. Uh, Lacoon of day, um, uh, Omegan. But and, and so we, we, I would like to incorporate more Irish into the podcast. But the primarily one of the things why we do this in English is because I believe that there's a whole, you know, this there's a, there's 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 a this conversation I hear it over and over and over again. Asquelga um, in the Irish language media in uh, tourist on tourist.id on TG on 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 writing the Gaelic, but I don't ever. Um, yeah. I, I, it's just not the conversations are not being had. Asperla, uh, although to the Irish Times credit, they did a supplement in um, in a weekend section just quite recently. We're recording this now at the end of January 2024. Uh, they did. I was I was I was very impressed that they had a, a kind of a, a bilingual um, section in, in, in their Saturday paper there not so long ago, which is the first time I've seen that, um, and, and 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 it is great to see. But um. Sarun, can can I just maybe again because I think that's a, that's an inspirational example of you as somebody who has again what you've done in in terms of your adoption and use and immersion in the language is 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 phenomenal. But then even starting out into campaigning um, in and on behalf of the language, and again, it's it it, it it is inspirational. But one of the things that was mentioned in that article, um, and I think this maybe ties back to your 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 U.S. Um, roots and, and and heritage is you uh, cited the example of because of course you're, you're you're based in san diego and i believe um spanish is is is, is quite a significant uh, minority language in, in yeah. that part of the world and and we do see a lot of controversy around the use of spanish i know particularly in the uh, during the trump years and and that kind of thing, there's a lot of people who are kind of anti uh, immigration from 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 the the southern border with uh, with with America, uh, Spanish speakers and and the use of Spanish in 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 North America and in, in the United States of America. But would you mind just talking to us about about that because you you, you made specific reference that was specifically referred yes. to in that article. Yeah. So looking at that, so a bit of context for this to make sure that this is as fair a comparison as it can be. So first of all. 
The United States does not have an official language. English is not the official language of the U.S. Spanish isn't. It just doesn't have one. English is the de facto official language, but there's nothing in the law saying that English shall be the official language of the United States. So there is a distinction there where in Ireland, you have the constitution defining Irish as the first, the primary first language and English as the secondary first language of Ireland, um, <clears throat> where there's a legal standing enshrined in the law for both of them. So it's a bit different in the U.S. context, where there isn't an official language. But what I said in the article, and I stand by this statement, is that Irish language rights are worse in Ireland than Spanish language rights were in San Diego when Trump was president. Now, there's a lot to unpack here. In San Diego is a really critical point because San Diego, California tend to be much more liberal. They tend to have much more Spanish influence. They tend to be on average much more friendly to, um, to Spanish speakers than you would see in other parts of the U.S., so this is not a generalized statement to the entirety of the United States. Absolutely, it is not. In fact, the approach of California, this absolutely would not generalize to. But in San Diego, because there's such a large population of people coming in um, with Hispanic backgrounds from a lot of it is obviously from Mexico, but from a lot of other places as well. Since there's so many of those people coming in, you see companies realize it's commercially viable and in fact, commercially, the best thing to do to put out some advertisements in Spanish, because you get many more people seeing your advertisements in that language, and that's your primary language, so it's easier for them to access it, to use it, to take advantage of it. And you see that being a massive thing around when I was at UCSD, I would take the bus into campus, and sometimes half the, the notices on the bus would be in Spanish. And those would be notices both from government, you know, government bodies, you know, the, you know, the, you know, the county, count, the county council, the city council, or various other groups. You, it would be political advertisements for people running for office, but it would also be private companies offering healthcare, you know, and you would just see an advertisement for that completely in Spanish. And sometimes it'd be an English one next to it, and sometimes they wouldn't. <clears throat> um, and one thing that always struck me is, you know. At that level, and I guess before I leave that point, at a similar level, you see in tons of places there's, and not everywhere, but there's a good amount of Spanish language signage around. You know, it's very common or relatively common to see some, to see sign, like notice boards with Spanish stuff on them. It's, you know, it's common to hear Spanish spoken around on the street and, and all of this. And then I look at Ireland and I'm like, in Ireland, heck, we can't even put up a street sign in Irish without half of them, not quite half, having grammatical mistakes in them. The Spanish mm. I saw in San Diego was real Spanish. It was the kind of Spanish that somebody who was a native speaker would say, that's correct. And in Irish, we don't even have that. In Ireland, we don't even have that. Mm. And that's really telling to me. Mm. Because when you look at the, the when, I, when I say right here, I mean the ability to use the language as a daily language where you live, you saw much more of the, these kind of common sense things, the things that help you actually live through a language being done properly in San Diego when they were done, then you will see in Ireland anywhere right now outside of the Geltacht being done because you see nonsense signs all over the place. And quite frankly, in my opinion, I'd rather have no sign than a nonsense sign. You know, I'd rather it be obvious to everyone that no attempt was made 
to have accessibility through the Irish language than to put something up there with a couple fathers on it so that English speakers think it's okay in Irish. Um, and you see that problem everywhere. I'm, you know, in, in Trinity alone, when I walk around, you know, you'll see these massive notice boards and, you know, there'll, there'll be like 30 different, you know, directories on it and seven or eight of them are just wrong. You see the same thing walking around Dublin. You see the same thing published in various governmental reports, in information put on Twitter and advertisement campaigns. Um, and it's really, really sad that the basic respect to represent a language in a grammatically correct form, you know, in a form that anybody who understands the language would actually say, just is completely lacking in so much of Ireland. And it really wasn't around here. And I was like, oh my gosh, you know, the United States was running mass deportations. They had all these massive issues and this is not to play light on that at all. But I'm like, I'm looking around and like, how in this environment that is so toxic, so much against these people, is this, is some of the Spanish language stuff still doing better than the government of Ireland can do for Ireland? And obviously there are loads of different dimensions there. This is not to, you know, to play down a lot of, you know, the suffering and the massive injustices that were done. This is not to say that these two are the same, but it's really just, it was a wake up moment for me to realize, oh my gosh, I've never seen these kinds of basic mistakes in Ireland. In fact, I couldn't find healthcare anywhere in Ireland in Irish. Mm-hmm. I don't think I could, or if I could, I'd have to be out in the Gaeltacht. But in Dublin, there's no way I could go to a hospital and talk to someone in Irish. Mm-hmm. If I call the Garda, I've got to speak in English. And I've never called the police in Spanish here. But like I said, you can get healthcare here. You can go to a doctor who speaks Spanish. You know, you can actually do the things that matter to your life in your language, San Diego. And it's it's shocking to see the lack of that in Ireland, where this government is saying, we support the Irish language, we support the Irish language. I don't think they support the Irish language. <laughs> um, and it's it's kind of saddening. One thing, maybe this is a bit of a well, I think, statement. I think... Oh, yeah. You have a point there? I think lip service is 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 what is being paid. Um, yeah. And and uh, I, I I I I mean, I just uh, around the time we're having this conversation, there is just a um, reporting on Tourex.ie I see about uh, uh, the the junior minister with responsibility for the Gwaltat, um was quoted recently as. Um, you know, just talking about how all this cool stuff in inverted commas is is happening, Oscarelga, uh, and uh, I get the feeling it's it, the, the the mass reaction to that has been, you know, that's you know, there's some positive stuff happening in relation to the language, but it's kind of like despite not because of the the um, the, the 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 attitude and 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 approach of of of, of government supports for the language. Mm-hmm. But um, Sarun, as we come towards the end of that converse, of, of our conversation. I mean, because that is that is just so telling. I mean, and that is such an insightful point. I think you say you have Spanish, a language to which you know the uh, many aspects of, of of the government of the U.S. are certain elements of certain you know certain political uh, uh, tendencies in, in the government of the U.S. are, are actively hostile towards, mm-hmm. and yet it as a minority language has better 
um, as, 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 as you know, as a better ability to to use the language as a as a community language in the society than you have in Ireland, where the language is supposedly has a constitutional basis, a statutory um, basis, and uh, should be you know full of government um, uh, support. It's 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 an extraordinary telling comparison. I mean, as you say, we shouldn't be taking it too too far in terms of their their, their, their it doesn't it breaks down in certain areas. But 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 I think it's it's an, it's an extraordinarily uh, telling example. But on that then, uh, Sadrun, as we, we we come to the end of the conversation, I'd like to just maybe uh, just maybe get your sense of the future of the language. I'd also like maybe just to get your sense of, I know you, 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 your, your time has been focused in Dublin. Do you have a sense of the wider um, uh, Irish language community, the Gwaeltocks and, 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 and that aspect of things? Because I know that's where, um, you know, while there's a lot of positive things happening in relation to the language in, in many ways, um, in terms of new learners and new speakers. Um, but I think, you know, the, the biggest concern all of us will have is the extraordinary threat that the the, the Gwaeltocks are under and where that mm-hmm. is the actual original source of, you know, the, and what, and is the place where the language has been preserved for, um, for the, 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 the hundreds of years where it, it has been under so much threat everywhere else. Um, what's your sense of, of that? Or do you have a sense of that? Is that something you, 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 you have personal experience or connection with? And then what's your sense of the future of the language arising from that? Yeah, so I have a, I've read a ton about the decline of the Gaeltacht, about the causes of it, you know, from everywhere I can find. So I know quite a bit of it at an academic level. I have never lived in the Gaeltacht. I visited, I've been down there, I've seen what it's like to the extent that a visitor can see what anything is like. Um, but at, at the, at the fact of the matter is that my knowledge of those issues is academic in principle. And so I, you know, as much as I know a lot about it, I certainly wouldn't know half as much as somebody who's from the area and actually knows, actually lived experience of that. And I think lived experience is almost the most important thing here. But yeah, I've seen, I mean, we had a, two or three years ago, we had, there was a, I remember Torsk reported on this. There was a company in the Geltacht that had a policy that failure to speak English was unacceptable, you know, and stuff like that, um, from everything I've read, is starting to be much more and more normalized, whether it's said explicitly, whether it's simply because the jobs there are filled by people who only speak English or made available and advertised in English, that you really see what's happening is that, you know, fewer and fewer people in the Gaeltacht are speaking Irish, fewer people are raising children through Irish, and a huge part of the blame of that lies on this greater system in Ireland of placing precedence and I would even say supremacy to the English language. And that, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm quite well aware of that. I'm quite well aware as well of the very distinct and some ways very similar struggle to see in the North of Ireland with a Dram Darek and, <laughs> and people who are trying to get <clears throat> the implementation of a fair Irish language act. And I realize there is an act up there now a fair implementation is, I think, still a bit away, but there is legal protection now and legal basis for a lot of things that people have been hoping for, you know, Irish language signage and all. But there's still loads of issues up there and you still see loads of people very active around it. <clears throat> um, and so I'm, yeah, I'm well aware of those things. And I think, quite frankly, what's missing in the Republic right now is a group like Andram Darek, a group that can command mass mobilization and move people for Irish language rights. And I think we need that 
both at the level of the issues that we face in places like Dublin, you know, and Cork and Galway, where there are larger cities, they're not Gaeltachts, um, Cork City, um, not not the counties uh, as a whole, which obviously has many Gaeltachts and very strong Gaeltachts in it. Um, but I think what we're seeing there is that we need to see this mass mobilization, both of the issues you face when you're in the city in a not primarily Gaeltacht area, and for the issues that you face in a Gaeltacht area, because they're very different issues. In one side, in Dublin, you say, I want to be able to access public services, public transport, and education through Irish. In the Gaeltacht, you have those same demands, but a lot of it is also so much simpler. The people who are born there want the right to remain there and live on their own land. They want to be able to build a house with their family. You know, this the standard staples of culture that have been around for hundreds of years that are now suddenly under attack. And that's a very different issue. So you need mass mobilization on both of those issues to raise those both up. And quite frankly, I'm optimistic about the future of the language because I have no choice. Because if I let myself not be optimistic, I'm going to say I don't care and I'm going to do nothing. And fatalism helps nobody. Even if the language is destined to die and to have no future, I'm going to believe it has a future because that's the only way you can make it have a future. Um, And I think that if we're going to do this, if we're going to be serious about this, we don't, I mean, and this is no diss to any of the organizations around, you know, Blockley or Legelga in Dublin, you see Kanu Legelga as a whole doing amazing work. You see a ton of other groups around, Idris Gael, Gael Idris, Gael Lynn, doing phenomenal work for the language. But I think on top of all those things, as a supplement to them, we need something like Andram Darig. We need mass mobilization. We need people out on the streets. And we need solidarity from people who don't know Irish. If we can do that, we can command the changes that are necessary to get the government to care. One thing, and this is, this is probably a very controversial point, but I've almost envied that the north of Ireland has the DUP. And that's a really weird statement because the DUP absolutely is against everything Irish language and quite a few other things that I would think are, you know, should be staples of human rights. But to me, the difference between the Republic and the North, it isn't about what the government, you know, what these major parties want for the language. Fine Gael, Fianna Fáil, the current government, Quite frankly, I don't think they'd, with a few exceptions, I don't think they'd mind hugely if the language kept declining on account of they're not doing anything to stop it. The DUP wants the Irish language to go away in the North, but the difference is the DUP will say on the record, I am against the Irish language. They don't pay lip service. In the Republic, Fine Gael, Fianna Fáil, the Greens, they all say, we love Irish. And then they cut funding, they slash supports. They do the same thing the DUP would have done. And I kind of wish they'd just say it. I wish they would just say, we'd be happy with the language gone. Because then you'd see mass mobilization. You'd see the dram diary coming here. You'd see people pouring out on the streets. But that's a, yeah, we that's, don't see that, that yet. That is such an excellent point and perspective on all of that. And I think you are absolutely dead right. Um, fascinating, my friend. Um, it's so inspirational to hear you speak about this because I mean, you know, somebody, you know, who, who's just, you know, because you've done the hard work. It's not like you've, you didn't, you didn't kind of, if you like, just, you know, get, 
born with the language or just get born with our, you know, in the Irish system. You came and you 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 have taken this up from scratch, and 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 the fact that you're committing your life uh, to, to to living uh, through the language now is just simply extraordinary inspirational. And on that, uh, Satrun, um, can I ask you just as a final question that I ask all of the guests here in the show is. Why did you do all of that, and why do you do all of that? What's your Irish language? Why? Why did you do, do, do you have, feel so passionately about the language, and and what motivates you to to do all that you do in relation to it? Because that's where I feel at home. That's that's the part of me that I see belonging in Ireland. That's a part of me I see, you know, belonging in myself. Quite frankly, the Irish language at this point is a part of who I am. It is it is my like kind of conceptual home you know when i want to relax when things get bad on anything the irish language and its community is what i turn to that is the place of refuge that i go to so to me protecting that is the most natural thing to do and that's why i'm never going to stop trying to do that and i think a huge part of it too is i have seen the irish language be so open so welcoming to anybody you know i can come in as an american You know, as someone who's got no Irish culture from my upbringing, really. And I can be fully welcomed there. I've been, I think, one of the most memorable things in Conor Nagelga, the the pub in Dublin. One of the most memorable nights I was there, I was, one, I was doing my study abroad at UCSD. I, I go there one night. And sitting around the table, there's quite a few Irish people, obviously. There was me as an American. There was a French man, a Russian woman and a Sudanese man, and we were speaking in Irish only. And that is the Irish language community in a nutshell to me. It is a place where anybody can walk in from any walk of life. It doesn't matter who you are. You are welcome there and you're accepted as yourself. That is what I'm trying to protect, that openness, that inclusivity, that love. That is what needs to be brought forwards. And if we can do that, I have no doubt the Irish language is going to survive for millennia. We just have to keep that up. Well, er er ausacara agus cogor this lat er 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 on eight the dente gut er er son um on tanga. It's 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 absolutely inspirational, my friend, and I am just I congratulate you. And uh, it's 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 phenomenal uh, what you have done, and uh, but as well, but that that connection that you speak about there, you know, that's that's just so beautiful, and um and and and, and I think it's genuinely inspirational for for learners returning to the language, people sometimes struggling with it, that that whole process and wondering is this really worth it? Uh, I think you've you've encapsulated it in a nutshell there for us, and thank you. Ahat ruin nakara. Gurav Mila Mahagut, Buenos Ansaltas and Scale Ryan Tulin, Berbua, August Banak Takara. Gurumila Mahad. Thanks for listening. Gurav Mila Mahagut Asave Eshtukt. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I would really appreciate your feedback and would be eternally grateful if you would follow, rate and review the show. Please also be sure to sign up at thelanguagequestion.com forward slash resources to get your free valuable learning resources and to stay up to date with upcoming episodes, guests and to receive exclusive content. Slán tamala.